Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 328 for November 24th, 2023. I am Mayor Watt, that is hometown.com, and that is the visualizer for the sentient AI. Would you like to say hello before we describe what we're going to talk about today? Good evening, hometown citizens. Good evening, hometown citizen. Man. Yeah. So the sentient AI um, likes to refer to everybody as hometown citizens. And every time they do that, I always want to say, pick up that can, citizen. And then I get an error message from the sentient AI saying, you know, you really should stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll just have to change my grading. <laughs> No, no, no. You're fine. Um, so uh, let's talk about what we're going to talk about. Tonight, we're going to discuss Samsung glasses, 3,000 years of mammal evolution. <laughs> I guess a summary. It's an article about somebody discovering something interesting about mammal evolution. Anyway, trade secret theft achievement unlocked. Rolling blackouts in the 21st century. Landfill mining seems a low return to me. Netflix employees upset about Netflix spending, robots inspired by nature, Nissan to charge into EVs. <laughs> I don't suggest they're all gems. I just tell them. Uh, is an underwater mountain a mountain? And um, movies this holiday season. Let's get into it. After the transition. After I reset the transition. How about now? <laughs> Oh boy. Production values, all time high. Okay. We've already got them all set up. So let's go through these articles. It's black Friday. Nobody has time for the news or this show. They are out spending because it's black Friday and I'm getting alerts telling me that black Friday is about to end. And so I better disgorge any amount of money I might have burning a hole in my wallet, which amounts to none. So we need to, I need to stop rambling, doing preamble discussion, random fluff at the beginning of the show and get into the articles. So that people can go on about their day. You mean like now? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first article. Oh, by the way, um, the transitions are a lot faster because I'm not recording this one for TikTok. <sighs> and this is not a slow machine. This, I, I've got a streaming machine, streaming machine that's separate from m my gaming machine. That's the one that does the heavy lifting for games, but this is only doing one thing, which is the stream. And it's still going, Meh, I don't really like that plugin. Anyway, let's get into today's articles. Reality Hacker is the first one. That's the channel that this article is housed in. Samsung glasses trademark filed in the UK. 
I actually heard about this through other channels and this was found in Ohm Town um, within the last 24 hours. So obviously the aggregator found something. Um, but uh, I had already heard about this. And now I'm not necessarily like really charged up for this, mainly because it's just a trademark filing about Samsung glasses in the UK. I want to see the embodiment. I want to see the evolution. I want to see something revolutionary. Just, I want something like big screen beyond, um, either turned into, uh, augmented reality glasses, uh, or mixed reality glasses, but something easily portable, very compact, very powerful. It has to be out there. We've got all of the components, but there I've been told that it's going to be wildly expensive. A la, Apple level, but I think Apple is overkill in its engineering. $3,500 for swim goggles. Yeah. <sighs> I just, how awkward. Cause I put those on and I, because it was going to protect my eyes and I started doing some underwater welding. And let me tell you, didn't work for either of those purposes. And so now I've got a $3,500 paperweight. Anyway, the Samsung glasses trademark filed in the UK, um, is I guess a hint at Samsung doing something. Um, so the trademark appears on the intellectual property office section of the official UK government website. It was filed by Samsung electronics on August 21st and officially approved and registered on November 10th. And I think that's probably around the time when I first heard this and I've been waiting for something, um, to, to new and, and revolutionary to pop up, but I don't think I've seen anything. When filing a UK trademark, companies must specify the product categories they wished it to cover. It's the same thing with um, the United States in terms of trademarks. Um, they have, we have to specify as well. We actually have agreements that cross these international waters. The, the US has its own trademark office, but you can extend your trademark over to the EU and UK simply by filing a piece of paperwork and they do their background check to make sure there's no conflict. And then you're granted this trademark. Yes. There's always a fee. Yes. There is babysitting. Yes. There is litigation. Should somebody challenge it just like in the U S so there's no difference here. Um, but the categories, because of the enumeration requirement, you know, now that Samsung glasses is a trademark for augmented reality headsets, headphones, smartphones, smart glasses, and virtual reality headsets as well. That's a given. So it'll be interesting to see what pops out. It's a rather broad range that makes it difficult to say exactly what Samsung glasses may be, but two possibilities are most likely based on Samsung's past history. I am suggesting that these are going to be smart glasses. Why? I think that would make the most sense, right? With the name. Yep. yep. Um, because then they would probably refer to them unless they have little subsets like Samsung glasses, uh, XR, MR, AR, but that's going to be contaminating the brand recognition. So you basically see Samsung glasses. Um, so, uh, Trademark appears in the intellectual property office section of the U official UK government website. It was filed by Samsung electronics on August 21st. 
Um, the XR headset with Google in February, Samsung officially announced it was working on an XR headset with Google handling the system software via a new variant of Android and Qualcomm proving, providing the chipset. I think that this might be the device, um, but it says in September, a South Korean news outlet mail business newspaper suggested Samsung's headset would be priced roughly around $2,000, which no, if, if what they are building is to compete with Apple vision pro and it's coming in at $2,000, no, people still won't buy it. Not at $2,000. Not, I mean, why is that? Because it's too expensive for the casual consumer, and maybe people want Apple. Yes, essentially. Um, the great thing about something not in Apple is that it isn't going to require the Apple ecosystem. So, if you've been in an enterprise and you've ramped everything up around Android, then this is basically a push. You're just going to be able to develop the software and load it into a Google headset. It's ba basically Google glass, but with a Samsung brand on it, because that's how it's looking, right? They're building the, the manufacturing process. Um, and, but Google has the uh, software. So if Android is built by Google and Google is providing it to uh, Samsung, the store is going to be the next vehicle by which people can upload custom software into the Samsung headset. But if you're going to spend two grand and you're even remotely close to the Apple ecosystem, you're not going to switch to Android for this. I just don't see it. $1,500 isn't going to make me want to push everything aside and just, you know, flip the table and then go over to Android. It's just not going to happen. Even though, I mean, I understand the power of Android versus Apple's ecosystem. You can do anything you want with Android. <laughs> um, it doesn't have as Spoken many from an Apple fan. Yeah. And, but I see, I'm platform agnostic. I really do have to make that known. I'm running virtual machines of pretty much every major operating system in several, <laughs> uh, in several ways, you know, from, uh, VMware to Proxmox to, um, systems that are, that are supposed to run one operating system, but they're running a different operating system. Uh, so, Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I, I don't really care so much because there's an operating system that's specifically built for certain things, really. Um, like I'll, I'll run Kali for cybersecurity purposes, but I'll run Linux because I want a particular level of hardening, but I'm not going to switch everything over to Android just because 2000 bucks is the price point for Samsung glasses. Um, so they talk about maybe it's smart glasses in January, 2020 at CES, Samsung casually showed off a demo of AR glasses without specifying whether it was an upcoming product or even acknowledging anything remarkable about showing such a device. Uh, Apple, Google, 
reportedly indefinitely shelved their AR glasses projects earlier this year, and Meta reportedly doesn't plan to launch a consumer product until at least 2027. So, the AR Why is aspect. That because of it. they're probably just working on their existing yeah. devices. Yeah. Yeah, so Apple is working on their product. Google is working on partnerships with other companies. Um, and uh, uh, Meta is focusing on its uh, metaverse, which I'm not giving them credit for anything there. They, they cannot have control over metaverse. Kiss my shiny metal butt. Okay, so I need to move on to the next article. I can camp on this all day long. So the next article is over in Technology Today, an unexpected way to time travel. Citizen scientist's tip unlocks 3,000 years of mammal evolution. A new study by NHMU utilizes cave data to set standards for understanding modern climate effects on mammal populations. Um, the article is over at SciTech Daily. University of Utah is the source. Um, they have this really cool picture um, here that says uh, Dr. Tyler Faith, NHMU's chief curator, examines elk bones inside a skeleton cave in the Uinita, I think, mountains in Utah. Faith and a research team from NHMU collected bones from the site but left the elk skeleton in place given that it is, it is the namesake of the cave. Um, First of all, this is actually a ta very tailored photo to this article. Yeah, well, I mean, most of the science-related tech, higher tech-related, and not clicky, baity, gotta get views, even if it is kind of hinky. But that's the stuff that is landing me in trouble, you know? When they, when they transition something and it becomes some political thing, then my video gets dinged um, and that really sucks. Sorry to bring it back up, but anyway, scientists from uh, NHMU uh, have taken a deep dive into the not so distant past thanks to a friendly tip from Utah's caving community in a paper recently published by the Journal of uh, Mammology. Five scientists from the Natural History Museum of Utah and colleagues from Utah's caving community have published the first research from their collaborative fieldwork deep in Utah's caves. Poor Utah has people crawling all up in their cave. To understand the impacts of climate on alpine ecosystems, we uh, record current mammal species mostly through trapping, but the method isn't uh, telling us anything about the mammalian diversity in the recent past, according to Caden O'Brien, lead author and anthropology PhD candidate at the University of Utah. Man, I, oh, sorry. Uh, I started thinking about something and I need to stay on track. Uh, so not a lot of study has been done on the past alpine ecosystems because they're harder to get to. And when you do that, there's a slim chance of finding older skeletal remains intact. So go jump down into a cave where maybe something landed. Hmm. Right. So how do we document the recent past without a time machine? An out-of-the-blue out email from local caver and study co-author Eric Richards offered an unexpected method of time travel, rappelling hundreds of feet down into Utah's caves to find what might have fallen in and when. It's kind of interesting. 
very interesting. Utah is a fascinating area, I think, for anybody in this field. Is it just pockmarked with caves and? Uh, I was thinking more just um, dinosaur fossils and prints and and things along those lines. Well, I don't remember much of the. I, but there are a lot of neat rock formations and everything, so I'm sure there are a lot of caves. Yeah. For whatever reason, I thought that there was some, like ancient past. It was a bigger lake there. There was a, a large lake over Utah. Well, there um, is the Great Salt Lake, but it's um, it's at risk. Gotcha. Um, so I, I suppose that all of these caves are built basically now they're draining out and not now, but over the millennia, they've uh, drained out and people start caving in them. They find stuff. Animals fall in them in the dead of night, you know, running across somewhere. But what they're going to find is just a stack of bones immediately down here, right? Unless something else bigger lived down there. But what's going to live way down in that cave other than bats and other scavenger type insects and stuff like that. So I don't know. Painstaking analysis yields ex exciting discoveries. Identifying skeletal remains is painstaking work because you just go bone by bone, sorting by size and element, and then comparing them with a regional museum voucher uh, specimens. But the result is exciting. Using radiocarbon dating, fossils found in Boomerang Cave were shown to span up past 3,000 years with the bulk 1,000 years. So I guess there was a flurry. Um, comparison of these fossils to museum records and present-day mammals collected by co-authors and NH NHMU zoologists Dr. Eric Rickert and Katrina Derrig showed the cave provided a faithful re reflection of mammal diversity in the area. So they show a picture, Dr. Tyler Faith, chief curator of NHMU, squeezing through a narrow opening of an undisclosed cave. And the takeaway here is no, I'm not going to ever do this. <laughs> I've actually been in caves like this deep underground. Um, and the person in front of me freaked out. And that could cause the people behind to freak out. And so I'm sitting there calmly telling the people behind me, Hey, I'm just going to say the name Joe. Joe free is freaking out. And so I'm trying to calm Joe down because he needs to keep on moving about 50 feet forward because we're stuck in a path about that big. Um, and Did yeah. that cause a line of freakouts? Uh, no, I was kind of the, I was the, the block. So I, <laughs> when, when things start getting worse, I get calmer so that I can just solve the problem. And so I'm like, Joe, just keep moving forward. We'll get through this. You'll be able to stand up on the other side of this. And, uh, sure enough, after a few minutes of him actually still being able to breathe, he got through it. But it wasn't like this. This is wet and icy <laughs> and solid rock. This looks awful. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, what I was in was actually more sandy. It was more sandstone formation. Um, this just seems oppressive. And, uh, you know, nowadays I would say no. 
but back when I was probably his age, I would have said, yeah, sure. Um, so they don't say much beyond this, but essentially caves become time capsules. And we've seen this before because divers have found ancient cave paintings dating back 15,000 years, 20,000 years, bones that are dating uh, back that time period before the, or during the Younger Dryas. Um, this is, but is, but this difference is open air and just random animals falling into it sets the time frame for when they might have fallen down into it somewhere between a thousand and three thousand years ago. So it's pretty, pretty amazing work. I think it's neat that it's easily overlooked. How much more do we overlook? Well, absolutely. I tried to look up where this was actually located in the state, but it does not appear on regular maps. Yeah, it's to keep. Well, right. <laughs> people away. I'm sure people that cave have no problem locating it because they've heard, you know, whatever, but they probably don't want random people just showing up. Talking about it tends to encourage people to go and then you end up having to explain to law enforcement well we wrote a paper about it and somebody got the gumption to go rappel down there with 75 feet of rope but 100 feet of depth all right let's keep going uh the next article is over in the mobile channel nvidia faces lawsuit for alleged trade secret theft after revealing rivals code Hmm. Hmm, that's an interesting turn of events. NVIDIA, the renowned tech company, is currently dealing with a legal dispute filed by French automotive firm Valio following a screen-sharing mishap by one of its employees. What? This is interesting. Valio claims... automotive really overlap with... I don't know uh maybe the gpu is being used for uh, the uh processing from the computers on the car i'm not sure um valio claims that mohammed mani ruzaman a former employee of their company who now works for nvidia unintentionally displayed their source code files on his screen during a joint meeting in 2022 Quick to react, Valio employees captured screenshots of the code before Manu Razaman was alerted to his error. Why did somebody alert him? It's worth noting that Valio and NVIDIA were collaborating on an advanced parking and driving assistant uh, technology, which a manufacturer would offer to its customers. Got it. So that's probably where it is. So NVIDIA... So what's the worst fact here? Um... The worst fact, I don't know. It's all kinds of what I still, okay, let's go over to the article. Um, did I say who the last, yeah, I did. Okay, I, I'm still on target. Hold on one second. Let me throw this into chat before we start talking about all of this um, because uh, I, I have certain <laughs> requirements here. I need to give credit where credit is due. Malik Greystone over at thestockdork.com um put this article together okay so the fact that we have right now the facts that we have right now is that a former valia valio valio um 
employee now works for NVIDIA. There was a partnership and Muhammad Manarazaman was still using the code arguably after the partnership may have ended. We don't know that part. that he jumped over to NVIDIA. Like, it just looks bad, and it could have been nothing related to any of it, but... See, but... Doesn't it seem like NVIDIA is going to paint a picture that <laughs> there was some sort of intentionality about this? So there's some conflating of the issues here, right? Because Monorazaman left Valia and went to NVIDIA. NVIDIA and Valio, Valio, sorry, were working together on an, a driving assistance technology. If Monorazaman had been working for Valio and then went over to NVIDIA because NVIDIA said, we'll pay you more. And since you already know Valio stuff, I mean, to me, there seems like it looks like it doesn't mean it happened. It's kind of it looks like that, like that, right? Yeah. Previously, Valio had been responsible for the software and hardware aspects of the manufacturer's parking assistance technology. However, in 2021, the larger corporation secured the contract for developing the parking assistance software. I'm not sure that actually just kind of blurs the story for me, but okay. In Valio's lawsuit, they allege that Monorazaman, their former employee who had contributed to the development of their own parking and driving assistance program, realized that his access to Valio's proprietary technologies would make him highly valuable to NVIDIA. So he proceeded to steal tens of thousands of files and six gigabytes worth of source code shortly afterward. A few months later, he left Valio taking the stolen information with him upon securing a senior position at NVIDIA. So, yeah. Yeah, what's interesting, though, is that this... When was the meeting? 2022. 2022, right. It all started in 2021. Kind of fast-moving. In a letter dated June 20. 22, NVIDIA's legal team informed Valio's counsel that the company had no interest in their code or alleged trade secrets. They emphasized that NVIDIA had taken immediate and concrete actions to safeguard their clients' rights. Yeah, they hired somebody that apparently brought the source code with them. Wow. So... A German court had convicted him of infringing on business secrets and ordered him to pay $15,750. Interesting. Valio stated that their former employee confessed to stealing their software. But apparently they didn't compel him to... Maybe they did. Maybe they compelled him to delete all of the material and prove that he deleted it. But he had it sitting on a USB drive somewhere. Wow. This is yeah. very interesting. I don't, and I mean, we'll never control bad actions of every person, but it seems right. like this is a big problem in tech in terms of people jumping across companies. Oh, sure. And largely it's hard to enforce non-competes. Um, it's 
almost unconstitutional here in the United States. Um, sometimes there is a compelling contract written, like we'll pay you $2 million to not work in this field since that's how much your going rate would have been if you worked for somebody somewhere. And largely that that is predicated on the idea that whatever is going on, by the time your two-year agreement is over and you've gotten paid your $2 million, your knowledge of our work is now so stale that you're not going to advance anything. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, they talk about some others in this where they've been convicted, but not Valio or um, NVIDIA related. So you can follow the link through hometown. And if you want to noodle around with this some more um, and come on back and ask questions, um, we uh, we can answer them to some degree. <laughs> the, it depends on what they are. Yeah, well, I, that's why I said to some degree. Um, the next article is over on Hometown Daily. Texas faces rolling blackouts this winter, which I'm just shocked saying that in the 21st century in the United States, uh, particularly from a, uh, involving um, a state that kind of poo-poos the idea that it needs to rely on anything else. Yet we have historical records that they keep kind of the administration keeps kind of wet in the bed, you know, um, you know, blaming things like <laughs> wind generators for the problem, except that, you know, that you need to have failover and, and a more robust system. So why aren't you investing in it? You know, instead of worrying about other things, you should be worrying about that damn power. Um, so it says Texans could be facing plummeting temperatures that may bring controlled power outages in the coming months. I mean, how do you give somebody a power outage in the winter? Yeah, I don't it's understand. Very dangerous. I really, do. I understand a role. I understand a power outage by failure, mechanical failure or human incompetence. Sure. Rolling blackouts are industry and human and administrative failure. That is pure incompetence. There should not be rolling blackouts in the 21st century in a state like Texas. <laughs> Where is all this money going? And if you're not, if you're, if your leadership isn't doing the taxes properly so that it can reinvest in infrastructure so that everybody can benefit from the prosperity of the state, you're doing something absolutely wrong. You're wrongheaded from end to end. Um, and so I'm astonished that this could even be possible unless it is a mechanical failure. But then you've known for years now you had better uh, harden and make more robust your infrastructure. You know this is coming. So the council has predicted a 14.4% chance that they could order controlled outages if Texas experiences a storm similar to the in nature to the late 2022 cold snap that left more than a million homes across the US without power from December 22nd to 25th. This is the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. Do you like I guess the, name? the incompetence is in the name. Well, we don't know if the council is tied to the 
power company or the power grid or is it some independent but the name does provide some humor in light of all this <laughs> the irony is not lost so controlled outages would be used if temperatures in texas drop to sub-freezing levels and last for an extended period of time i'm not quite sure why controlled outages would encourage a <laughs> a shutoff of power um hmm okay in january the chances of controlled outage would grow to about 16.8 percent chance okay a nearly 20 percent you got one in five chance that it's going to uh shut off power also, if i'm not mistaken texas i think is expected to have an extremely cold winter this year yeah so the National Weather Service has predicted a strong chance that El Nino will develop this winter, which has been acknowledged by ERCOT. Um, the warmer than usual currents in the Pacific that trigger El Nino could reach high levels. The forecaster has predicted for Texas that generally means cooler temperatures. And then everything, because the, uh, uh, the heat sink isn't pressing up against the cold, the cold will just slam down all the way onto Texas instead of stopping north of Texas. So the strain on the power grid has also been blamed on the no no Lone Star State's rapidly expanding population, which has grown by a fifth since 2010, compounded by a lack of renewable energy sources being available in the winter months. Energy production therefore can't keep up with increased demand. You know what? That's what taxes are for. And that's also what increased bills are for, increased price in bills. But the problem is that really should be spread across everybody. Um, I wonder who's going to get rolling blackouts first. Hmm. Mm -hmm. We'll have to we'll have to watch this. So um, Texas, by the way, has had it, they kind of talk about it here. Texas has its own power grid separate from the two grids that serve the rest of the United States. There's actually three in the United States that I know of and Texas. I believe that there's three. Um, and Texas has been separate and fighting uh, inclusion in the grid um, to the point where they basically go <laughs> start breaking out the fisticuffs. Um, yeah, there's I, Eastern, Western, and Texas. Okay. Yeah, I thought that there was one that was um, Eastern, but Northeastern. It's basically New England had, I thought, a, a subset of the Eastern. There may be. Those are the main. Gotcha. Um, so it says ERCOT produces power for 90% of the state's population with other states' grids providing the rest. Um. I think that the problem might be, oh, I don't know, <laughs> a monopoly entirely on what? <laughs> the production of power. And it's not apparently state owned um, to the point where taxpayer dollars yeah, should be not? used to expand it and uh, harden it against something like nature you know, crushing it. I, I, I don't I don't know. Hmm. Haven't we seen this with Enron before? Uh, G can't get too many letters closer. Yeah. So it's the electric reliability council of Texas. If they're in control of oh, it. So they're the actual, okay. I didn't connect that with that. Okay. Yeah. So 
I'm shocked by this. Uh, just in the, like I said at the beginning of this, 21st century rolling blackouts in a state like Texas. Just kind of shocked. Okay, I need to play catch up. So let's get into the news. We'll kind of speed this up a little bit. So this next article is over in the Mobile channel. Why isn't landfill mining more popular? Probably because it has a really low return on its investment. Probably, but let's see what they say over here at Gizmodo. Kevin Hurler is the author. Um, let me throw this into the chat. Sorry about that. If you have not seen that, there we go. And it says our garbage heaps are rich in metals and other materials, but landfill mining is rare. The idea here, and I'll just kind of run through this real quick. The idea here is to literally dig up all of our trash and find the stuff that we missed, except now it's decomposing, it's off gassing. It's basically a giant chemistry lab, borderline super site. They actually put pipes down into landfill piles so that it can off gas in a controlled manner. Um, and other assessments can be made of the material makeup of the pile. Um, but it's going to be really tough to try and grind through all of that trash because it has so many variables in there. It isn't like conventional mining. You can't, you can dig into a mountain and you have a really good chance of knowing what's in that mountain, regardless of what's in the mountain. You've taken some samples on the outside. There's a good chance that the entire mountain is made up of the external samples, but you don't know what you're going to find in a landfill. You just don't um, because it even says right here in the very first paragraph, once in a landfill, much of the trash undergoes some wild chemistry, often polluting the surrounding area. But amid all the stinking refuse is potentially valuable material. But it, I don't think the material that we're talking about has gotten so expensive that we need to uncap landfills and risk the pollution that other it might. environmental issues exactly yeah um but they talk about e-waste heavy metals other recoverable materials the only way that i would allow this is if somebody took on that risk all of their own and did not pull in things like taxpayer dollars grant money and stuff like that because there's really no incentive other than curiosity to see if it can come of something but based on what i have seen going into landfills and i oddly enough i've spent some time um you you don't know what you're going to pull out and it isn't like you can just tunnel it isn't like you can just um it, it's basically mountaintop mining you're cutting off layer after layer, just like it was put down. You're going to have to cut off layer after layer because you can't mine holes in it because it will collapse. It isn't stable. It's basically a giant sponge of debris of varying types. So you basically have to just scrape the top until you find something of value. So do you think you could use something like AI to somehow scan it or something and Honestly, I don't think so because there's no way for an AI to get enough viable information from looking at it. You might be able to pull um, material from r radar or um, scanning. Mm -hmm. 
scanning for different types of metals and stuff like that. But I don't think the signal is going to be robust enough to make any real assessment. So I, I just think that this is a, a bad idea until prices get to the point where you have to do this for economic sense. Let, let the chemistry take place. Um, but we've been doing landfill or yeah, we've been doing trash collection incorrectly for so long. Um, and sometimes you see separation of material, one for recycling, one for landfill, and then they get merged somewhere because somebody doesn't care enough to keep them separate. Um, but all of this landfill should be mitigated by uh, systems at the entry level. Like you're coming into the landfill, everything goes through recycling and then other stuff ends up in the landfill but everything that could be recycled e-pollution heavy metals plastics glass various types of each should all be sent to another filtering processing um, categorization system um, but landfill should just be you know the stuff that just can't be recycled anywhere all right Let's keep going. I have to say this was the first thing I've seen about landfill uh, mining. Yeah, it's interesting, right? I didn't think that I would ever see anything like that. Um, I feel but, a little like dystopian there. Yeah, exactly. And we've kind of hit on this before because people have lost um, like their crypto keys inside a landfill on a hard drive and people were willing to sift through it to find it. That's right. Um, so this next article is the F-bomb. <laughs> I'll just say it that way. <laughs> Netflix creatives are fuming over a report of $55 million plus spent on never completed show. Apparently some Netflix creative have taken to social media to voice their frustration following a report about the streamer Netflix spending 55 million on a show that never got completed um, claims that Carl Rintz Rintz or Rinch I'm not sure um, the director known for 2013 bomb 47 Ronin and which stars Keanu Reeves I actually liked it sorry uh, entered into an eight-figure deal uh, with the streamer in 2018 to make an expansive new sci-fi series Despite the millions the net that Netflix pumped into it, the series, which was called Conquest, would ultimately fall apart due to Rinz's reported erratic behavior, um, general behind-the-scenes chaos. But did they? He had to have spent all fifty-five million. When did the chaos show up? I think he did spend all of the fifty-five million. Wow. Ryan Northrup over at Screen Rant put the article together. Apparently they're 20 years old, Screen Rant. Following uh, reports that Netflix spent $55 million on a show, Netflix creatives are a little pissed. Um, other creatives point out that Rince, a straight white man whose only feature film was a box office bomb, was given an opportunity that diverse creatives are, not, are often not. Yeah, and that's largely about connections just say that um and uh <laughs> you well know. and it's the problem too of the they won't give anybody unproven a chance except 
you have to start somewhere. Yeah. And and really, I mean, I, I think the the problem is that people need to be judged in, in this particular instance, it's on the creative, you know, not what the person actually looks like. And regardless, you know, you can sit there and say that this is racism or profiling or something like that, right? But it it's even more base than that. It's it's unethical, it's immoral to sit there and look at somebody and go, I don't like what your writing is because of the way you look, you know? Uh, but we see it time and time again. People apply for jobs and a bot that's trained on finding successful applicants see a name that is associated with um, a bias that's internalized to that programming. And so that person gets removed. Except when you put in like somebody's cat's name right there and all the rest of the information is the same they get an application, uh, you know, Hey, come in for a meeting. Uh, let's discuss it. And so you have to bring your cat, set them down, but there's evidence that, you know, these judgment calls are being made by people. And I guarantee you, if anybody that was, would fall into the diverse category, tried to get $55 million after a box office bomb, they'd never get anything. So why the hell did this take place? connections it's about connections um and there may be you know some racial profiling in there um now following the truly shocking and bizarre uh, new york times report on netflix's scrapped conquest show some creatives who have previously worked with or attempted to work with the streamer are taking to the website formerly known as twitter to voice their frustrations so there's a bunch of posts um but i am air gapped so you can see these little comments. I won't go through all of this. Well, and I um, mean, people are pointing out like how much, how far the money could have gone mm -hmm. or how they could have also done in comparison. Um, yep. Uh, Rince's concept for the series was said to explore. Pardon me. I really don't like that. Um, Sorry, it was uh, said to explore the creation of an Android peacekeeping force known as the e Organic Intelligent. Oh, I think we just got disconnected. Yeah, we did. Let's see what happens. Um, while Amazon was initially poised to sign the deal, Netflix would offer up even more money at the last minute, including giving rents or Rinch, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. I'll say Rins, um, who was embroiled in a lawsuit with another production company at the time, total creative and budgetary control. This decision would quickly backfire in a fairly major way. So apparently globetrotting production would in no time at all become plagued with a variety of issues. This is during COVID. Well, maybe that's why he got away with some of this because the studios were probably shut down. A fleet of Rolls Royces used leftover $11 million from the production to invest in crypto and a fleet of Rolls Royces. Yeah. And the I'm problem. I'm sure that's budgetary control over the film. <laughs> <laughs> there should have been more checks and balances here. Uh, but hey, maybe this is why the cost for Netflix has gone up 
because of a dipshit uh, move oh, like this. Oh, this could actually be, he could be solely responsible for the increase in their premiums. Yep. You know what? Our stream actually did disconnect. So what do we need to do? I don't know yet. I'm watching, I'm watching to see if it actually split it into two. It did. It split it into two recordings. Okay. Okay. I'll figure it out on the other other side. Um, so let's keep on going. So um, the next article is over in Technology Today. The flying, swimming, and tunneling robots inspired by nature. Drawing inspiration from birds, fish, and even worms, researchers in Europe are developing machines to explore places on Earth that are difficult for people to reach. Like, I don't know, caves. Um, the next article is over at uh, techexplore.com. Gareth Wilmer from Horizon, the EU Research and Innovation Magazine. Uh, put the article together and it was posted over at techexplore.com. Uh, let me throw, let me, this is kind of the breaking point um, between the, the two, like the stream disconnected and then reconnected. So right. this is the first one on the second half, but I'm recording it locally and I'll just submit the whole thing. Um, so drawing inspiration from birds, fish, and even worms, researchers in Europe are developing machines to explore places on earth that are difficult for people to reach. Um, flapping wings. Uh, there's, I know of a, like a snake, like uh, drilling yes. operation. Um, and I think we've seen gecko, um, at least studied maybe like climbing bots and stuff. The robotics. Yeah. Yep. So are the ornithopter in the sci-fi blockbuster film Dune resembles a helicopter crossed with a dragonfly. It's no wonder why it actually can't exist. The physics don't allow it right now. Not that I know of. Um, so flapping wings, birds, for example, are an excellent model for investigating designs. According to Dr. Raphael Zufari, I guess, Zufari, um, a roboticist at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Lausanne. Um, it might be Lusane. Is it Lusane? It's not Luzanne. I think it's Lusane. I don't know how to pronounce it. Sorry. So they benefit from millions of years of evolution. So we have something that's been optimizing throughout history. We aren't incapable of flight like a bird. We're incapable of material science like a bird. We can't make the stuff so light that it can fly and carry a load like a bird does right we could probably mimic it but it couldn't fly right right like it'd be too heavy right or it wouldn't be agile enough or something like that. yeah there's going to be a limit in our material science so i mean because i've been around people building uh flapping bird but they're gossamer planes. They're, they're basically this ultra light fabric and tiny thin uh, slices of balsa wood with a little, if they're going to have a mechanical operation, it's like self powered by the flow of air, ambient air. If there was a gust of wind, it would slam up against a wall if somebody sneezed. But then when you want to actually carry something, it has to turn into a helicopter and that kind of blows all of this out of the water. You just can't do it. Um, 
So with a robot that weighs 200 grams, you could strap it to your backpack, walk to the edge of a volcano and launch it into a lake. Uh, he reeled off examples of other potential uses for these robot helpers, such as studying the health of the coral reefs, taking specimens from uh, marine organisms for DNA tests or underwater uh, sediments. We have tools that are designed to do this. You know, it says aerial aquatic flapping robots that can both fly and reach secluded areas, then dive to explore. I think that there's a lot of science fiction in this. Um, yeah, mainly because quite there. Yeah, it says they say it's still a work in progress, but there are quite good first results. Yeah, I'm not sure. Researchers are investigating both folding and non-folding wings to see what works best. The team also managed to get its robot to swim at a speed of one meter a second after entering the water from the air faster than most other swimming robots. So now I want to see this thing. What does this look like? It's not, they don't have pictures of it, so I'm going to have to go hunting for it. And then going deeper, um, a robot that can uh, go into mines, hold raw materials, including chromium, copper, gold, iron, zinc. Um, recovering these materials with robots is an environmentally sound way to avoid humans having to go into dangerous places and reduce the need for imports. Yeah, I agree. Um, but robo miners as they're called that's the project that he leads has been developing a prototype inspired by movements of fish insects and worms capable of tunneling through flooded mines this type of intrepid explorer would enable ultra deep mining and then the extraction of deposits that would otherwise be uneconomical for uh, companies as well as dangerous for people it's pretty interesting and they have others that are that they uh, talk about uh, but I'm going to let you all go and investigate that. Let's go on to the next article. By the way, some of the articles are linked to non... Uh, it looks like there may be English version. Okay. They go to academic articles. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, at that particular site, uh, definitely links to academic research papers. So this next article is over in Technology Today. Nissan will invest $1.4 billion to make EV versions of its best-selling cars at its UK factory. That's why I called this section charging into EVs. Har har. Nissan will invest $1.4 billion in Northeast England. So I wonder if they're going to do like every EV. Oh, wait. Every ICE corporation that's extending into evs promise the world get all kinds of regulatory capture by people basically just the adage drinking the kool-aid is really wrong because of its context but that's what everybody says they are really drinking the kool-aid um but I'm really burnt out hearing about how companies are going to do this. And then they wet the bed. They just walk away and cancel jobs. People planning, people have moved because there are expectations that the company is going to do something. And then they can the idea. Well, right. I mean, entire countries, but at least localities have planned around factories that now don't exist. And yep. it's just been it. not. I I actually watched, I have watched one building ramp up 
everything except hiring the people and they were looking for the people they actually had the request out to hire people uh, but they hadn't started the hiring process and then something happened and they eventually tore down the building uh, but it took about a decade but the entire community was planning around that um, houses were built um, property values changed it was wild anyway kevin Kelvin Chan over at techexplore.com put this article together and here's uh, Britain's prime minister Rishi Sunak Wright and chancellor of the exchequer Jeremy Hunt apparently attaching the brand Nissan onto a vehicle in a factory so the Japanese automaker manufactures the gasoline or gas hybrid Kashkai and smaller juke crossover vehicles at the uh, factory in Sunderland, which employs 6,000 workers. Nissan Motor Company said it's directly investing up to 1.12 billion pounds or 1.4 billion US dollars to produce electric successors to the two models. The money also will enable wider investment in infrastructure projects and the supply chain, including a new gigafactory. For EV batteries at the site, the government said in a separate press release. So there isn't much more to this because it's basically a, a hype pitch. Um, but let's see if it actually comes into existence. The real problem with all of these are what I've been saying for years now. The infrastructure can't support EVs. Not unless everybody, everybody suddenly becomes complacent about getting to their destination on time. Because if you're going to go to work and you happen to flub charging your vehicle the day before somewhere, or your home charger is a supercharger, you're going to slowly run out of power. If you drive too far, traffic's too much, weather cha changes, or you have too much weight in your trunk, too much junk in your trunk, you won't make it to your destination. So you have to pull over to a supercharger and sit 15, 20 hour two hours, depending on what you, your ultimate plan is. No other vehicle do you have to do that. You pull into a gas station five minutes, you fill your tanks up and off you go. Only the EV world has accepted sitting around for up to two hours to get a charge. Because the right people aren't driving yet, right? Like right. there needs to be more public uproar, but yeah. There aren't enough people driving EVs to really recognize that. I mean, it's one thing when it's somebody else's problem. Because the angry Karens of the world aren't buying EVs, right? Well, I don't know what the male version of... What is the gender-neutral Karen? Uh, right? There's not one identified by name. Yeah, we need to find one. So, but I also want to point out, this does say that uh, Nissan's going to be the only one with an battery plant in the uk and that's that could lead them um if they actually follow through with this like they could take the lead here well they could change the dynamic by making fast char uh, not fast charging but fast swap battery infrastructure but i don't think that that's what's going to happen you know uh, it's just i'd say shocking but that's too on the news let's keep going Next article is over in Omtown Daily. Mountain twice the as high as tallest building found hidden under the waves. So I titled this section, Is an Underwater Mountain a Mountain? 
The underwater mountain begins more than 13,000 feet below the surface and rises more than 5,200 feet above the seafloor. So is it a mountain or is it an island? I'm not really sure here. Yeah, so I'm not even sure if it's entirely underwater. I think it is because it must it's start not. below the... Yeah, it says it's 13,000 feet below the surface and rises more than 5,200 feet above the seafloor. So, above Thank the seafloor? Doesn't it start below the ocean floor, basically? The okay. numbers don't make any sense there. <laughs> Let's look at this. So, this video has absolutely nothing to do with it. Um, and so, we can skip right on past that. Thank you, Newsweek. Aristos Giorgio is the author for this, their title is science and health reporter. Me trying to cope with this description is making my brain unhealthy at the moment. So I don't know if they hit the mark on either of these. So the mountain known as a sea mount sits around 13,100 feet below sea level and peaks at a depth of roughly 7,900 feet, rising 5,249 feet above the ocean floor. So it's entirely underwater. The underwater mountain is roughly twice as tall as the world's tallest building, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. Yeah. Um, but is it, um, it's a sea mount, but this one's kind of easy to climb if you could dive down 2,000 feet. Because you could just why? Because you could just float up, swim to the top of it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Hold on to a cannonball, sink thirteen thousand feet down, and then let go, and you'll float. Maybe depends on if you're a floater or not. The seamount was identified by an expedition conducted by the Schmidt Ocean Institute in international waters, around eighty-four miles outside the exclusive economic zone of Guatemala. Sea mounts are underwater mountains with steep sides that rise from the ocean floor, according to uh, NOAA, National Ocean, Ocean, National Oceanic Atmosphere and Atmospheric Administration. I'll get it right. You just, everybody, just relax. Let me throw this. And article. I just recently learned that NASA is involved in some oceanography, which I did not know. Sure, why not? You can look down into the ocean with all of that tech that's floating around the planet. It's pretty neat. I wouldn't be surprised if that wasn't taken by a satellite. It's pretty cool. But, you know, I just don't. A sea mount is a sea mount. It's not a mountain. A mountain is something that's above the surface and it's a pain in the butt to climb, but people do it. Why? Because it's there. After the echo sounder revealed the seamount, an onboard expert confirmed that the feature was not currently present in any ocean floor databases. The data showed that the underwater mountain covers an area of around uh, five square miles. So, okay, wait a second. So a they cube. have a map of the seafloor, but they missed a five square mile section. Yeah. Like I'm telling you, we don't know as much as we think we know. And everybody sits there and goes, we know all kinds of stuff. No, we are really just the village idiot. Just kind of poking a bee's nest saying it makes a funny sound. Look, it buzzes. Yeah, until you're stung a thousand times. A seamount of over 1.5 kilometers or 9.9 miles tall, which has until now been hidden under the waves, really highlights how much we have yet to discover. Geotica Vermani 
uh, executive director of SOI said in a press release. So look at that. I could be the executive director of SOI. What did I miss? Where's SOI? I forgot what SOI was. Oh, Schmidt Ocean Institute. Duh. <laughs> okay, well, that's it, folks. There's there's more over here at this article, but um, they kind of talk about mapping the seafloor. If it hasn't become obvious to you that we really don't know much about the seafloor and the inhabitants of the sea, well, this is just kind of one of the embodiments of that fact. We really don't know what's going on. All right, let's go to the last article. Um, this article is over in the Marvel channel, all the genre movies coming to theaters this holiday season. It's from Gizmodo and they do something that I don't really like with their articles, but I'll work around it. The holiday season is upon us and means you'll be looking for things to do with your friends and family. By the way, the gaming community community has kind of gotten flat because in November and December, not as many games get released, but guess what happens? Movies All kinds of movies, out. movies. Yeah. And you're supposed to hang out with your friends and family and go to movies. Festive season is upon us, which means Hollywood is about to unleash big blockbusters and hopeful or, and award hopefuls. Germaine Lucier is the author. I think that's how they pronounce her name. This is from gizmodo.com. And here's what's cool about this. And I don't like it. And I do like it. I don't like it because it's a stupid slideshow and I really just want to scroll. But at least they do it like this. Doink. So I can actually talk about all of the slides all at once. Ta-da! So they talk about it here on this slide, but Poor Things, December 8th, and limited release. I don't know about that yet. The Boy and the Heron. I think these are more artistic films. Godzilla Minus One goes pure entertainment, but we'll look at these two when we go back to the article. Um, Concrete Utopia, December 8th, unlimited release. The Abyss, December 6th, only that must be a re-release uh wish november 22nd rebel moon part one a child of fire this is getting a lot of hype i can't wait for that this what franchise is that associated with I've heard none of it's brand new yeah you would think that like it's a star wars disney kind of right. thing but it's what not it sounds like it, it okay. looks like it it acts like it it feels like it it's not Every time I hear Rebel Moon, I think of Disney and Star Wars. So Leave the World Behind is another one. It's uh, November 22nd in theaters, December 8th on Netflix. Hey, fun fact, though. It was actually pitched. It was intended to be based on Star Wars, but it was pitched as like a more mature take on the universe. Which basically meant no. <laughs> Um, I want to see Wonka. This is a remake, um, not remake. It's a refiring of the world building of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and um, how Wonka became a chocolatier. Um, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. I could care less. Well, I couldn't care less. Um, and migration. So, yeah, don't worry. There's rationale for that, but. Anyway, so Poor Things, um, it stars uh, Emma Stone. Now, I've seen the intro to this, and I, I, I don't understand it. 
Um, legit Oscar contender is a unique spin on Frankenstein as Emma Stone plays a woman with a child's mind who discovers the ways of the world. Willem Dafoe, Mark Ruffalo, co-star. Um, she kind of, to me, I think like Emma Stone disappeared for a little bit and then popped back onto the radar. She's in another Netflix movie as well. Um, or maybe it's a series. Uh, what is it called? Uh, I'll, I'll have to find it anyway. Um, the boy and the heron is, um, uh, the curse is the show the, that she's on. There you go. Curse. Yeah. The curse. Um, that's another one where it's just, I don't quite get it. Um, so the, this one here, um, poor things I'll have to look at again. Um, but it's kind of weird that it's a unique spin on Frankenstein, but cause I like Frankenstein. So maybe I'll like this video, this movie, the boy and the heron, uh, is a, a Miyazaki film. So the story is going to be interesting. People are going to be very passionate about the art and the story, um, releases a new movie. There's a reason to celebrate according to the author and this story of a boy traveling to another world once again, fits the bill. So you'll probably like that. If you're into anime animation, um, then Godzilla minus one. Uh, if you're into Godzilla movies, you'll love it. Uh, that's all I can really say about that. Concrete utopia, South Korea's submission for this year's Oscar is a fascinating story about what happens after a massive earthquake levels an entire city, except one building. Yeah. Probably everybody flocks to it. Um, the abyss. So it says, no, this is the original 1989 James Cameron movie coming to theaters for one night only in a new 4k remaster before hitting digital and Blu-ray. So why let's just keep going. Then there's sure, wish. They don't have enough new movies. That's what they like to do. And there you go. That one though is weird because why would anybody buy into the abyss and go spend 60 bucks to go see a movie? It makes no sense. One of the many uh, big family movies this holiday season is a new musical from Disney animation about a young woman who realizes a king who grants wishes isn't the good guy everyone thinks he is. No, you should never trust a djinn. Uh, the next article is Rebel Moon. That's what we were talking about earlier. Uh, this basically looks like a cross between... Um, a Star Wars movie and Firefly's grit. Um, and then you kind of pump it up a little bit with maybe the, a, a deeper conflict somewhere that you haven't quite been, it hasn't been impressed upon you, but the trailer basically exposes her as, um, somewhat of a fighter. Um, who gets found somewhere and that's the trailer. So watch the trailer and you'll be instantly caught up to where we're talking. That just what I just said is basically enough for you to go. Oh, okay. Um, but it looks like it's going to be a fun watch and there's actually two of them there. This is the first part of it. I should have figured that out from the part one that I did not. <laughs> I think in some other articles, I, I think it's referred to as part a <laughs> yeah. 
uh, leave the world behind. This is an interesting movie, um, or show. It's a, it's a show on Netflix. Um, the creator of Mr. Robot, Sam Esmail, uh, writes and directs the star studded apocalyptic thriller about a cyber attack. And, um, it actually comes across as having like a supernatural component to it. I don't know how base cyber attack it is. Um, but it, it gives this mystery like a UFO is involved or something else is involved. At least in the trailer, I get the impression there's something else bigger than cyber attack. It looks like it has a strong cast in it, at least from the, the screenshot here. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. Um, and everybody that I've seen so far is they actually, you know, command the screen. There isn't one person that's controlling the whole thing. So it seems like it's going to be a fun watch. I'll definitely be watching it. Whoops. Um, and the next slide is Wonka. Um, Timothy Chalamet is going to be Wonka. And it says telling the musical origin story of everyone's favorite chocolate maker. So again, this will be the prequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which is the prequel to Snowpiercer. And that trilogy is basically going to be, I'm waiting for the quadrilogy, which is the fourth movie, which is probably going to have to take kind of the form of, um, what are the little yellow guys, um, in the cartoon? No, no, no. In the cartoon, um, with oh, the, the minions? Yeah, minions. It's going to have to be like a minions episode because the Oompa Loompas are like, you know what I'm saying? They're they're an alien race. I think that they're from another planet. And they were brought, saved from that planet by Wonka. And then in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, he uses them as employees. And then in Snowpiercer, he is using them to keep the train powered. And then they run out. And so they start using. Well, there are lots of minions, so. So maybe we'll see that. The Oompa Loompas are Wonka's minions. <laughs> Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. I think this is overplayed, but we'll see. Um, in what might be the final film ever for the old DC universe, Jason Momoa and director James Wan uh, return to Atlantis for what looks like a really fun, colorful movie. We'll see how that plays out. Nope. Everybody's going to not like it. And, um, then migration, super Mario brothers movie, um, illumination, right? They're the makers, super Mario brothers movie, and it'll flex its animated muscles again with this comedy about migrating birds. So it's ice age, but for birds. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and that's it. So, Dun, dun, dun. Let's go back if I can. Yeah. That's it, folks. Let's see. Did I throw this? I didn't throw this article into the chat. I'm really bummed. The, uh, the video split. So half of it is 40 minutes and the other half is um, 30 minutes. But that's okay. I've got it all recorded. Well, at least one. it was uh, helpful enough to to split roughly at the middle. Yeah, it just automatically connected, so we're good. Um, but what's going to get uploaded to um, YouTube is going to be a contiguous 
recording an hour and 15 minutes long. Um, okay. So we always get back into the party bus and drive back down to the front page, but guess what? I can no longer do because of reasons. I can't refresh the page anymore while I'm streaming. So it's incumbent upon you go over to hometown.com, sign up, become a citizen. You'll be able to, um, hide articles if you swipe them right or save articles. If you swipe them left, they'll be in their own little, uh, uh, page and it's hidden under this, these three dots right here. Uh, but the other six, um, icons that you'll see on the regular, um, are main categories for 50 sub channels that I want to bring to Twitch. Um, Hometown Daily is basically the holistic gathering of 10 articles from these 50 channels. And we talk about it for an hour, hour and a half um, every day, 8 p.m. Monday through Friday and 6 p.m. on Saturday and Sunday. I am hoping to launch two more in the new year. Um, they may or may not both land on Saturday and Sunday, but they are once a week shows an hour to two hours long, depending on how much engagement takes place in the show. Uh, but they will be live shows converted over to YouTube, um, for storage and a podcast under the same name listed in hometown as well, but also a unique podcast just for that weekly show. Um, and the first one is definitely going to be reality hacker. Um, I'll explain more when that actually gets closer. I've talked about it before in the past, but um, figured I'd tease everybody today. So definitely go over to hometown.com and sign up. Uh, with all that said, we are done. I'm going to close out. So I'm Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. And up there is the ring of sentience for my sentient. Uh, you know what? I shouldn't refer to you as my sentient AI. How about the sentient AI that watches over hometown and keeps the mayor uh, out of trouble? You want to say bye or you want to say anything you want to see this is really clunky uh, what i'm waiting for a break to speak good night um town citizens we will see you tomorrow at 6 p.m eastern since it'll be saturday's show man time flies okay see you all later bye bye <laughs>